Well, Al, it's October now, and that means it's National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, and also Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And I happen to know you have a great guest in mind to tell us a little bit more about both. Actually, I do have a great person to talk about this subject. I met him during Black Hat and we had lunch together. And, you know, when you meet somebody new, you say, you know, hey, my name is and this is where I work. And what do you do? And what he had to say just kind of made me stop and just put my lunch away and really listen. He is a part of an organization called Operation Safe Escape that helps individuals who are looking to leave domestic violence situations. But this isn't just like your traditional safe house. He's helping and fighting back using tech and also helping people who are being targeted through tech itself. Chris, I hate talking for other people, so I was wondering if you would mind perhaps introducing yourself and telling us a little bit more about Operation Safe Escape. So my name is Chris Cox. I'm the executive director of Operation Safe Escape, and we're a nonprofit 501c3 all-volunteer organization that focuses on safety and security as it relates to domestic violence, stalking, harassment, and also human trafficking. So our goal is to help Those individuals get out safe and stay safe once they do. I have to ask, though, when I start thinking about, you know, Safe Escape and the programs that are designed to help people who are going through domestic violence, I never would have attributed to be an organization that would be in an event like Black Hat. You mind telling us a little bit about what you guys were doing there? So Black Hat's a great opportunity for us to interface with the security and the technical community. So where we really fit as an organization is that all of us that volunteer are uh, full-time employees in one or more security disciplines, a lot of us being from a tech community, from the InfoSec community. And so being able to talk with the security community at Black Hat and DEF CON and some of the other events around there gives us an opportunity not only to find out what they may be able to offer to victims of these sorts of crimes, but also to represent the voice of the community of those that are in those situations that might not be able to use traditional security mechanisms like passwords in the same way that we might advocate uh, as a community. So it gives us an opportunity to have those important conversations, make those great connections, and to really, to an extent, represent the voice of the victims of domestic violence to that broader community. I want to take a step back here because I know that when we talk about domestic violence, a lot of people definitely think about, you know, physical abuse. And some might take a moment to talk about, you know, mental abuse. But where does tech play a part in that? So tech becomes a really, really major piece of what we do. It's not the only part of the solution set, but it's increasingly used to further abuse. So one of the first aspects that we're concerned about is when it comes to isolation. Isolation is also often the first um, aspect of an abusive situation. So where the abuser would take various mechanisms to separate the victim from their support system, from their family and friends and other people that might be able to help them down the road or to point out that certain things aren't just aren't right. So technology has enabled the abusers to do that in ways that they hadn't been able to before. So sometimes it's actually with an individual that has uh, more security knowledge and more technical knowledge than their victim does, so they can lock them out of certain websites, they can control traffic at the router level, um, they can prevent them from using their phone. So we're finding more and more through our partnerships and through the clients that we work with that technology is becoming both a great a great way to amplify your voice and to make those connections with family, friends, and supporters, but it's also something that's going to be misused. So we really fight against that. 
That's disturbing, but it makes a lot of sense. I imagine this must only have gotten worse with the prevalence of IoT and smart devices in everyone's home. Oh, it definitely has, uh, especially in cases where it's the abuser that installed them, maybe before they left the home or maybe before they were arrested and later released or something to that effect. So it gives a uh, window into the home, either into the network or into the home environment that previously didn't really exist. And like the old joke goes, is that if you want to know what it's like to hack in the 90s, just hack IoT today, <laughs> because it's, it's just about as secure in a lot of different ways. And so the, pro- the real challenge is, is that the people that are left in the home or the people that are using these devices, the survivors themselves, they may not know uh, how those devices have been configured or may not even know in some cases that they're there. Right. And it, I mean, even if you do, there's not always ways you have of disabling them, right? I mean, if you just unplug it, the, the abuser will notice that. That's true. So one thing that we tend to see is that IoT devices, particularly smart home devices, that the abuser will maintain that connection into the home actively and use that either to monitor their victim or to somehow interfere with their lives. We see it a lot with uh, thermometers where perhaps while the victim is at work, the abuser can get in there and change the temperature of the home, make the pets uncomfortable, run up the electric bill, do whatever they can do. So you're absolutely right is that once that's caught and once that's stopped, sometimes that can lead to escalation, which is something we're always concerned about. With that level of just view into the person's life, how can organizations such as yourself or volunteers come in and help without you know, further endangering the individual? That's why it's so important to take a holistic approach to these types of solution sets, because in circumstances, particularly where the abuser is actively monitoring their victim, and where there may be a current relationship between the two, it can escalate. It can be more dangerous once you finally sever that connection. So once the abuser's aware that they've been caught. And that's where you can really lead to physical escalation as well. So that's where we take that holistic approach. We work with um, different aspects of the recovery process, of the security process, and also with certain partners that, we, uh, that enable us to look at things from that broader perspective. And so what we do prepare for is that, for example, situations like stalkerware or spouseware on devices, we know that if the person's being actively monitored, there's a lot of information that the abuser has. So if, that's, if that suddenly cuts off, then it can lead to a more dangerous situation. So it's a matter of making sure that the situation is better contained, better prepared for, and that other security aspects, such as physical security, is considered before you make that visible step. Could you tell us a bit more about stalkerware? What sort of things do you guys see in the field? Yes, unfortunately, that's something that we're seeing in the field. That's something that we're seeing more and more of where the software that is made specifically with the purpose of tracking someone, tracking a phone without them knowing, it's ideally suited for someone to do illegal acts that are outright illegal in most areas, which is to stalk a, uh, a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend, or someone else that doesn't know that they're being followed by the device. And while that is not only unethical, but high, but illegal as well, the way that they can get around it is that they pretend that that's not what it's used for. When they're selling these products, it says to only use it for legal acts, of which there's very few. And so they'll say that it's made to watch your children or to watch your employees' phone use and whatever else. But the reality is, is that the software itself hasn't changed since they openly marketed it for stalking your spouse or whatever the case may be. So to this day, you can actually get on their tech support chat line. You can actually contact them on their website. You can directly ask them. You can say, I want to use your software to do this act that is illegal. 
And they'll not only tell you how to do it, they won't certainly won't tell you that it's an illegal thing that you're going to do. So they don't have the customer's best interests in mind. And you can see that when there's been breaches of these companies, when the customer lists have gotten out, that um, they're certainly not protecting their data very well either. So it's not only the software that's made for that use, but there's also what's called dual use software, where you have software that's that's made for some other purpose, but is often misused or used in a different way by the abusers to do this. Yeah. It gets repurposed for this malicious act. It certainly does. Right. Right. So what it allows the abuser to do and the stalker, the harasser to do is to get information on their victim that they wouldn't have otherwise. And it definitely increases the risk to everybody involved. Do you have an example of something like that? Uh, Yes, I do. So as far as when it comes to the dual use software, one of the very famous examples that has since been remediated would be the iPhone, the find my find, find my phone feature which allowed you to, if you were on the same account, to at any given time locate where your phone is. And what was found is that the abusive spouses or anyone else who had access to the person's iCloud account was able to get in there and find very specific information, very detailed information about when their, where their victim is. And it did not alert the victim that they were being tracked in that way. So Apple, to their credit, once they realize it is being used this way, they did go through and now they do have a notification when your phone is being tracked, which helps to reduce the risk. But even to this day, if you look at some of the Apple, the App Store and the Play Store uh, apps that can be used to track a phone, and you look at the reviews, a lot of people are reviewing it based on its ability to track their boyfriends, girlfriends, or spouses. And they're openly giving ratings to it to say how well or how poorly it did that. So there's definitely a stigma that needs to be put in place about using software for that way. I imagine you must have seen all kinds of situations helping your clients. Does anything stand out as particularly surprising? Yes, it does. Um, So we've participated in and helped to affect nearly 3,000 successful engagements and escapes so far. And uh, we're going to keep going with that. So during that time frame, we've definitely seen it all. So Initially, what surprised me was how sometimes well-meaning allies can be a part of the problem. So in one example sometime long ago is that the individual fled to their relative's house. And that particular relative was very, very well-meaning and certainly didn't want the individual to be harmed. And so she took her, her relative in. She also felt that the marriage needed to be maintained at all costs. So she ended up going back to the, the aunt in this case, ended up going back to the abuser and chewing him out, saying that what he did was wrong, which is absolutely true, and saying that he needs to go and apologize and talk out the situation. And she made him promise he wouldn't hurt anybody and that he wouldn't cause any harm. And of course, the abuser in this case agreed wholeheartedly. He said he felt very badly. He only wanted to talk and he promised that he wouldn't hurt anybody. And that night, the victim ended up in the hospital. So she certainly didn't mean to be a risk. She certainly didn't mean to be the threat in this particular case. But it's an example of how even well-meaning and well-intentioned individuals can sometimes give away information that just shouldn't be given away. So more and more, though, however, is that I'm constantly surprised by the uh, persistence of the abusers and stalkers, is that the creative ways they'll reuse technology, the creative ways that they'll use technology that's intended for good purposes— and they'll find a way to use it to harm others. We've also seen a rise in technology and devices that are sold specifically for this purpose. So you can see, for example, uh, cell phone charges with hidden cameras in them. You can see a lot of different types of hidden listening devices. 
And so it becomes very important. It becomes very challenging sometimes to actually do that full assessment and make sure all those devices are caught. And sometimes it's not really a matter on the abuser's side of trying to use those devices to catch something being said or record something, but making them actually intended to be found and putting many of them in the environment so that the victim doesn't feel safe where they are, so they always feel they're being watched. So Chris, when we first met, you were talking about how you're hoping to find individuals with technical backgrounds that can kind of come in and help combat the situation that's going on. Um, Perhaps that's not the best way to say it. So what type of people are you looking for? What skills do they need to have? And how would they get involved? It's a massive problem with a lot of people that are victimized by these sorts of crimes every day. So we do need help. We're an all-volunteer organization so that uh, everything that we do is based on the talent and the skill sets of the people that are willing to come in and give their time to help other people. So one thing that we really do need is we need people that have that security focus, that have security experience, whether it's physical security or technical or OPSEC or anything else that can actually get in there and help to provide information, sometimes even work with the clients and um, help create guides and other things that keep people safe. There's a lot of other things because we also work with the shelters and the safe houses. So we um, help them develop their own security programs, which in a lot of cases are severely lacking. And also just a lot of awareness and outreach. So there's definitely room for anyone regardless of their skill set. That was... I guess a lot of information. So let's see if we can break it down. So if I have an individual who perhaps is newer in tech um, and wants to get involved, you talked about writing documentation or writing guides. What kind of you know help could they offer you? A lot of people that do come to help with this project are new in the community because it's a good opportunity to get mentorship, to gain experience, and also to gain uh, documented experience for things that you've done for good that you've done in the community. So that would give an opportunity for someone new to perhaps sometimes work with someone that's a little more senior or to do some of the fundamental research. And really, as they build up their own skill set to help others while they're doing the same thing. What about more technical users, people who maybe have experience with administration or development, but need to help remotely? Are there things they can do? Oh, absolutely. And we love those because there's people with these incredible skill sets from all around the country that are all from all over that have so much to offer. So one of the things that we do that's kind of unique is that based on the nature of the client base, where sometimes they're not ready to meet someone face-to-face or they're, they might be in a location that they don't want to share. So we do work with a lot of people through secure communication channels that we help them set up so they can talk freely, so they can actually break through that isolation, actually reach out to get some help. So there's opportunities to work one-on-one with those individuals or in small groups with those individuals or also to help to advise some of the shelters, safe houses, and even law enforcement that just need some information because oftentimes they don't know what they don't know. So they just need a little bit of help to get there and to better protect the same clients. Uh, you've kind of touched base on it a little bit earlier, um, and you talked about individuals being able to work with those who had more experience. Does that mean the organization will also offer training for those who are wanting to help out, but their skills might not be right where you need them yet? We certainly do. So, of course, every volunteer, we do have a, an orientation program that covers some of the, fan, the fundamentals of advocacy and basic security concepts. So maybe we can make sure that everybody has the same sort of baseline. But at the same time, the mentorship component has been extremely valuable and extremely powerful because you get an opportunity to work with individuals that may have different skill sets or maybe experts in one skill set that maybe you're not. So we found that's particularly interesting when it comes to the InfoSec space. 
but also a lot of people get uh, value out of OSINT internship uh, or mentorship, OPSEC, and other aspects that they might not generally touch in their normal workday. Now, everyone might not know, what is OSINT? OSINT is called Open Source Intelligence, and it's something that's extremely valuable here. So it's a matter of finding out what information is publicly available on whatever it is you're trying to find out information on. So in this particular case, we use it both defensively and we both and we use it also, for lack of a better term, offensively, where when a client is in a position where they have to stay hidden, maybe they've left the state, maybe they've gone somewhere, wherever it is that they don't want to be found, their safety is at stake. And generally speaking, they've done a really good job in trying to cover their tracks. But there's no one that's more dangerous than a dedicated and persistent adversary, which the abusers often are. So looking at their own footprint, we help them to kind of figure out where information may have leaked, where there may be particular ties between their old location, their old identity, and their new location or identity, and really kind of flag that because if we can find it first, then we can help to cover those tracks better protect that person. And at the same time, sometimes there's questions that just need to be answered, for example, about the capability and intent of the abuser. So we might need to be able to look there and see okay, they've been traveling, they might be coming to this location and see what else is being put out there. Now, if someone listening would like to volunteer with your organization, how do they get started? Well, we invite them to reach out on our website, which is safeescape.org. That's all in words, safeescape.org. And we have a section where there's different opportunities to volunteer or to partner or simply to request information. And if someone is listening to this and needs to reach out because they need your help or they need to speak to somebody about possibly getting out of one of these situations, what's the best way for them to approach reaching out to you? Well, the first concern, of course, is going to be their safety and well-being. So we always encourage people to make sure that you're using a trusted device, uh, ideally one at a trusted friend's house, a school computer lab, a library works just fine as well. And they can go to our informational website, which is goaskrose.com. All one word again, goaskrose.com. And that has a lot of important safety and security information. They'll teach you how to clear your browser history, how to communicate with us safely and securely. And then also it offers opportunities to reach out to us directly for some assistance. Thank you so much for giving us those resources, and we'll include those in the show notes. So hopefully some of our audience can reach out to you and help volunteer, and those who may be in a position where they need help, I'd strongly encourage them to find a safe place and go and just read up on the information and know that there is hope out there and there there are a large group of people who will be willing to help when you're ready. Um, Thank you so much, Chris, not only for joining us today, but for bringing this organization to, I mean, to Black Hat and to B-Sides and everywhere that you're spreading the message and for everything that you do for these individuals that are reaching out to you. 